0: politicians are the virus yeah man maybe i am dumb you think you're free you think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in fauci jerked off a pangolin and now we all have covid it's us against them guys get out there and spread that love and liberty let's go welcome to the dad presents thank you guys so much for joining me today i appreciate you you know, when we started this show, it was about two and a half years ago and it was right before the pandemic and it was with a couple of my buddies, a couple of my good buddies and I, we started this and we were going to do a spin-off of the popular Facebook page that dad presents and it was going to be about parenting, but then coronavirus hit and the world broke. The world just, it just friggin' broke. So we took a left turn from there and this became a show about liberty. But today we're going to take a break from all that and get back to our parenting roots. We got Connor Boyack on. He's the author of the Tuttle Twins books. They're fantastic. You're going to love them. Look, ma'am, you guys all know parenting it's hard. All of us as adults, we're all prisoners to the trauma of our childhood, during our formative years, and you know, regardless of how big or small that trauma is, we become prisoner to it. It's inescapable. Nobody gets out alive. And as parents, our job is to love and protect and provide for our children, but to also minimize the damage done to them in their formative years by the world and by us, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to damage them. It's inescapable, but our job is to minimize that. Nobody's going to do it perfect. And the really unsettling thing is that whatever mistake you do make, no matter how big or small it's going to be amplified in their adult life. And that's kind of terrifying. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up your kids. Just facts. I know a lot of adults. I've, been, I've lived all over the country. I've met tens of thousands of people. Nobody's normal. We're all screwed up. Our job is to minimize that damage and give our kids the tools to succeed in society and be productive members of society. Right. But there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Doesn't exist. The perfect parent, it's the Loch Ness monster. The perfect parent, it's it's the smoking hot supermodel who also happens to be a molecular biologist. Does not exist. No perfect parents. Some of you are great parents. I know some of you, you're great parents. You're not perfect. But all you can do is do the best you can do. And the dad presents is here. We're, We're trying to help you, you know. We're trying to help you, but don't get it twisted because my kids aren't getting out of this without me screwing them up either. They're screwed up. They're already screwed up. I see it. My nine-year-old, he's a little pain in the ass. I barely know how to take care of myself yet. I'm I'm, I'm putting advice out there in the world into how to be a parent. So we're all, we're all doing this. We're all learning as we go. There's no one right way and one wrong way. Every kid is different. Every parent is different. You got to figure it out for yourself. But a guy like Connor Boyack, a guy who is putting out into the world books that will help you teach children principles that will help them in life in areas where the schooling system are failing them. This is something you want your kids on. Anyway, guys, we're going to get into that. But first, can you please help the dad make a buck and keep this podcast going, please? I don't ask for much from you guys, but you know, if you're watching on YouTube, hit follow, hit subscribe, and then spend 30 seconds and go over to Rumble and do the same. It doesn't take you but 30 seconds. If you're listening on Spotify, hit subscribe, write a little review, give it five stars, then shoot over to iTunes and do the same. 30 seconds. That's all. Just go to all the spots and follow the data. It helps, helps, me, get, helps me charge more for ads, helps me get paid, and I need to get paid to keep putting out this content. And, you know, in fact, instead of just listening to me nag you for like the last 30 seconds, you could have already done it. You could have already done it. What are you still doing here? You could have done it already. And, you know, that's one of the first things I learned in marriage. When the brag nags me, it's easier to just go and do the damn thing she wants than listen to her nag over and over and over because that grates on my nerves. It works. She nags me. I go do it. You know, when I think about that, though, that's probably why she nags, because it works. Shit. You know, ignore me. Don't do it. Don't do what I nag you to do. We cannot give the... I'm always talking to you guys about the carrot and the stick. You can't give the carrot for the bad behavior of the nagging. Resist the nagging. Don't, Don't click subscribe when I nag you. Don't do it. Don't listen to me. Resist. Anyway. I'm babbling. Let's get into the interview with Connor Boyek. Okay, guys, Connor Boyek is the founder of Libertas Think Tank. and He's the creator and writer of the fantastic Tuttle Twins books for kids. These books, they teach kids principles of economics and family values, and, and they're amazing. My kids are reading them. They're fantastic books. Connor, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, my kid is actually reading right now. He's reading this one. If you guys are watching hyperinflation devastation, great book. Um, totally appropriate for what's going on in the world in 2022. Totally. Um, what, when you started doing these books, what was your motivation? What, what inspired you to do these books?
1: So uh, I run this nonprofit, profit Libertas Institute. That's my kind of full-time day job, uh, trying to change hearts, minds, and laws in favor of freedom. And uh, we started in Utah, now we work across the country. And when my kids were younger, specifically when they were five and three, I was having these experiences where I would find myself coming home and asking my kids naturally, as a dad would do, you know, tell me about your day and what did you do today? Who did you play with? And my five-year-old started to every once in a while reciprocate the question. Dad, what did you do today? And I'm like, how do you talk to a five year old about fighting eminent domain? (laughs) Or, like, you know, how do you talk to, to, you know, socialism to a three year old or, you know, whatever. And so I actually went on Amazon and uh, was trying to find books that would help me do this. There's books on the birds and the bees and potty training and like any topic you want. But I couldn't find a single book that talked about free markets, property rights, personal freedom, all these things. And there was Mm. a little bit of, material talking about the constitution for kids, but there wasn't anything about these ideas and philosophies and values. And so I was talking with a buddy of mine uh, who's an illustrator and creative guy, and he had kids uh, similar ages and a bit older. And so we teamed up. I became the author. He became the illustrator. His name's Elijah. And and we did one book and it was just a labor of love. It was like, you know, we don't know if these will sell at all, but we want this book to exist for our kids And uh, the shtick was that each of our books would be based on an original important text. So we chose uh, The Law by Frederick Bastiat, which is a very influential essay, very well uh, written and awesome essay that Elijah and I had both read years prior and were really uh, educated by. So we wanted to do a book based off of that and and a lot of people bought it. Uh, it was kind of a market signal to us that, hey, maybe we're on to something. Maybe did you, we should do another one.
0: Did you self-publish this? Did you did you go through a, a regular publishing house? Uh, so what was we, the pathway to success?
1: Yeah, we did uh, initially approach traditional publishers just to kind of see what options existed. We went to... Uh, political publishers, uh, you know, right of center uh, that had done some of these books. And they said, hey, cool idea. We just don't do any children's books. And then I went to some children's books publishers and they said, hey, cool idea. We don't do anything political. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess that answers that for us. And uh, in retrospect, self-publishing was a great blessing for us because we've been able to not only maintain creative control um, over the whole process, but we go beyond just self-publishing. Most people, when they self-publish, they they just go listed on Amazon, mm-hmm. or they do Create Space or some right. of these things. Where they are not? No, we do everything. We we order forty thousand books uh, at a time for each of our titles. We have two warehouses. I have a oh, team really? of twenty people who pack and fulfill all of our orders. We wow. do everything ourselves. You didn't do so that, that we right know, off the bat, did you? No, we did. It was literally oh, wow. me watching brave. Netflix in the evening, packing you know eight or ten orders at night when I'd come home from work, and so then I. I had to hire someone part-time and someone full-time and then another full-time person. And so it grew from there. But for us, the biggest benefit is that I know everyone who buys our books so that we yeah. can market to them about additional books and help them kind of create, be part of this community.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that that's risky to, to take that on yourself because that had to be a little bit of an investment right off the bat. I, I myself, I've, I've written two books. I had one published traditionally. And then the second one, I did my own way, but I, I did it create space. Like I didn't want to take all that on. That's a lot to take on. So you, you, you had the balls, and it it paid <laughs> off. So good for you, man. Um, you've sold three million books. Uh, you say you started it because you know you wanted to teach your kid what Daddy was doing at work. Teach them some of these principles. I like the idea of building it off of other historical texts that that we all know and love, like um, the Creature from Jekyll Island. That's a great one. Yep. Um. What is your goal now that, now that you have this massive organization, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish with these books?
1: So my goal is to reach and teach every child in the country and beyond. We, we translate the books in like 15 languages right now, but, but I, I think we need material for kids of all ages. So now we have books from toddlers to teens, as well as you pointed out with hyperinflation devastation, one of our teen books. And uh, and so I think we need materials for kids of every, uh, every age. I think we need a variety of mediums. So some kids will be fine reading books. Other kids prefer watching something. So now we have an animated cartoon series that we just oh, launched. Did. Yeah, we've. Where got, can we find uh, that? Uh, TuttleTwinsTV.com. So all the books are at TuttleTwins.com, and then the shows at TuttleTwinsTV.com. They're all free. We've got seven episodes out so far. They're high, high quality. It's it's really uh, good stuff. We raised five million bucks uh from like over 8000 people to fund season 1. Oh wow. So it's it's all high quality stuff. Great writers, great animation studio. Um so we've got a cartoon, uh, we've got a podcast, we've got a game. We're we're basically trying to create a content empire where no matter how old your kid is or how they like to learn, we've got something for them. And more importantly, it's not just us teaching kids. What we're really trying to do is foster family discussions. What I've seen over the years is that parents hardly ever talk to their kids right, about right, political and economic ideas in large part because they feel inadequate themselves in understanding these ideas well enough for themselves, let alone how to explain it to you know, one of their kids. And so they don't, they, they kind of retract, they, they withhold, they, they don't do that. Meanwhile, teachers and textbooks and TikTok are teaching their kids yes. all kinds of garbage. All the wrong and things. Par- Right. The parents yeah. are like, oh, what happened to my child? Well, it's interesting you talking.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that about the parents because I, I teach my kids about this stuff and, and I've given them these books. And I would say my 12 year old could better explain to our adult friends what money is, where money comes from and the concept of inflation than they could. Like the public schools don't teach this stuff or if right. they do or if you go to college for economics, you're you're better off you're better off learning nothing about economics than going to college and learning about economics. So I understand you, you homeschool your kids. Yes. Um, when did you decide to do that? And for other parents who can't afford that, like how can they fight back against some of this crap in the schools?
1: So in the Tuttle Twins community, I, we're split actually right down the middle, half of them homeschool, half of them are in public, private or charter schools. So, uh, the the families who whose kids are in public school, they they get our materials as kind of a counter agent, right? Because they know their kids are getting all kinds of garbage in the schools. It's almost to intellectually inoculate their children against the garbage that they're going to be hearing. So it's like, hey, you got all that you know junk in school here. When you're at home, you know we're going to read the Tuttle Twins together. So it's been very helpful for a lot of folks in that regard. And the homeschoolers, of course, use a lot of this uh, Tuttle Twin stuff as as curriculum. Um, homeschooling comes in a wide uh, variety of formats. Uh, you can go completely unschool and, and laissez faire and let your kids kind of be in full or mostly control of of uh, their own education. And and there's a lot of uh, in between. There's a lot of curricula off the shelf that you can use. Our family uses the Good and the Beautiful uh, for a lot of stuff, which has been very helpful. Um, but what I think is most important is like no matter we talk about this in one of our Tuttle Twins books, uh, the Education Vacation. What's most important is that parents have to recognize that their job, and frankly, any teacher's job, is not to be the knower of all the things, not to be the subject matter expert in English and history and math and all these things. Instead, what we need to see ourselves at, I think, is more of a resource provider to to our children. Any parent is good at Googling. Right, And so I don't need to know all the science things. I just need to be a good Googler and find out here's a good video. Here's a good website. Here's a good app. Here's a good whatever. And expose my child to all these resources rather than me thinking as a homeschool dad or my wife that we have to suddenly be experts in all these things. That's a very intimidating proposal for parents as they consider homeschooling. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think we need to give ourselves, let ourselves off the hook and recognize that that as we talk about in our education vacation yeah. book, uh, children are like like plants. Too often we treat education as this industrial process, going down the conveyor belt. Every child needs to be packaged the same way, shaped the same way, treated the same way as they go from beginning to end in this very industrial process. And that's very a very collectivist approach. It's a very top-down authoritarian approach. Instead, kids, I think, are like plants in that. When I go plant in my garden and I put that seed in there, I just have to give it some very basic resources. And it has inherent DNA. It is wired to grow a certain way, produce a certain thing. You know, the, the environment, I can be you know cautious about fertilizers and pesticides and, and do what I can to help. But, but it's a, an approach that that recognizes there is natural potential there with that child in our analogy and my goal is to not take this raw material of ignorance and shape it and package it every step of the way like every other child in the process my my step is to say there's some latent natural potential with this child as long as i prepare some and provide some basic resources this kid is going to grow into an adult i have no clue what its dna is i don't know what my children are going to do in the future what their talents are what their natural inclinations are what their struggles will be. i it would be Uh, ridiculous for me to impose upon them this template that society has determined or some curriculum committee voted on that my child should do. So I think it's a very empowering message for parents to recognize that, that we don't need to be the subject matter experts. We don't need to control our children in every step and hold their hand every step of the way. We just need to be these resource providers and our kids will thrive when they're allowed to just grow on their own rather than being batch processed along this conveyor belt.
0: Yeah. Um, you're right, the public schools they, they it's cookie cutter, you know, they treat everybody the same and that works for some kids, it doesn't work for a lot of kids. And I like the idea of a kid being at home and they're they're also developing discipline skills like to put yourself through school it takes a lot of discipline. Um let me ask you two more follow-up questions on that. Number 1, so with the with the homeschooling, how do you make sure your kids are properly getting, you know, developing social skills and interacting with other kids? And number 2, California out here is there's going to be a bill. Hopefully, if we get enough signatures, there's going to be a bill in the next election for, um, school choice, meaning you get the money that would go to your child's education. You can do with it as you want. If enough States do that and people have the money, what about the idea? And this is just coming to me right now. What about a Tuttle twin school? Like what a a template for educating children.
1: So, uh, to your first question, um, Oh, remind me what it was. I, I already spaced it. Socializing.
0: That's, How do you socialize? That's right.
1: That's right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, my mind was going with the second question. Um, so I struggle with this question. When when we started homeschooling our kids, and certainly when I was younger, there there was this notion that homeschoolers were these weirdo, you know, rubes of of uh, isolation that that weren't properly socialized, right. and that was the the prevailing criticism.
0: Unhygienic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think the the statists, I'll call them, that use that argument have completely lost the ability to use that argument when we have seen, especially during COVID, the stupidity of all these things happening in schools, kids locked in little cubicles of isolation, hula hoops set out for kids to... To have to sit between walls erected yeah. here, little three-year-old kids having to hold their arms out in front of one another to make sure they're properly socially distanced. If that is the socialization that is the standard, I do not want my child socialized yeah. at all. That's when people valid. say, Oh, if, if you're if you're home, if you homeschool your kids, they won't fit in. When I look at all these like brain dead zombies out in society, the woke mob and everything else, I do not want my children fitting into that. To say nothing of outside of all the woke crazy weirdness that's happening now. The bullying, the the Mm. sexual harassment, the, the sexting, the vulgarity, the disrespect, when you go onto these public school campuses, it's toxic. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want my children in them. That's not to well, say I want to shelter my kids in a you bubble. You make a good
0: point about the last couple of years with what the schools have been doing. And yeah, they've not been socializing the kids. The kids have been taught to be afraid of each other. So that that's a great counter argument. But prior to that, kids were playing at recess. They were doing sports. They were doing all of that. Do, do your kids get any of that?
1: One hundred percent. So, so our kids, uh, and I think many homeschoolers now do what's called the homeschool co-op. And so in our case, it's like 30 some odd families that get together a couple times a week to do classes. The parents are teaching classes. The kids are playing. They're doing after hours activities together and stuff on the weekends to say nothing of all the friends in the neighborhood and church in our case and, and everything else. So um, I, I, I I completely reject anyone who tries to tell me that homeschoolers, even, even if you're not in a homeschooler, right? Because I don't think kids are completely isolated unless you have broader parental problems where you're like keeping your kid on a tight leash in general. and um, But uh, I think that's extremely rare. Uh, And so I think in general, kids have plenty of social outlets uh, beyond what they would get in public school. But in our case in particular, and a lot of kids now, these co-ops are amazing because you preserve the autonomy and the, the flexibility of homeschooling, but you do have this kind of little community that you've built of people who you can connect with and rely upon. And it's been very helpful.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, then the second question, what about a, a Tuttle twin school? Yeah, Is that
1: so... <laughs> This is something we thought of. I, I think uh, what we're looking to do now and into the future is simply be a resource provider to any and all schools. We, we have public school teachers using our materials. We have whole charter schools where every fourth grader or fifth grader is using the teletrans books. We've got, I mean, there's a great uh, model called Acton Academy. Uh, there's a lot of these private schools across the country, fantastic uh, schools. And so, you know, partnering with people like that or the Montessori's or the homeschool co-ops. I, I don't think our role or intention is ever to have our own school. I think I don't think there is a uh, a model school. I think what we need is a diversity. We need competition. Different kids have different preferences. Families have different style preferences and, and whatever. Uh, some kids you know, are on the, the spectrum. Other kids struggle with anxiety. Some are outgoing. Like we need a diversity of options. That's the biggest detriment of the, the public school system is this kind of one size fits all approach. And so I would rather to see this, this, especially with something like you're talking about in California, we've supported similar legislation in our state. Let's empower parents to choose where they want their kids to go. And then the market can respond by saying, oh, now that there's money on the table to have a variety of options, I'm going to set up a private school. Hey, I'm going to set up a school. Yeah. I'm to, and now we get all kinds of options. So my goal in the years ahead, especially as we get a lot more school choice across the country is to position Tuttle Twins so that we can be kind of curriculum and, and uh, a provi- resource provider to all these different schools, because I'd rather see, rather than me kind of say, here's the standard or here's what we want to do. I just want to be connected to all these different folks out there who are doing their own thing and make sure that we can support them.
0: Yeah. And I, I know, I know, that's happening. I know my niece, she's nine. Her name's Malin. And I know she read your books and she impressed her teacher. And now they're bringing it in, in the curriculum in her school. I don't think that's going to happen out here in California with my kids <laughs> in the schools, but I know it is happening. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Cause one, one thing I've noticed I've, I've probably read about four or five of the books myself. I read them before I give them to the kids. One of the themes I do notice is that you teach the, the kids are, are learning how to think, how to make decisions, how to process logic, how to question authority, right? Which is an important thing I teach my kids, especially during coronavirus. I taught them to question authority, like don't just blindly put on the mask. You don't just do something because it's an adult who tells you to do it. So my question is, you, you teach kids how to think. I teach my kids how to think, how to question authority. How do you do that without undermining your own authority as a parent and without them becoming disrespectful?
1: Mm, that's a tantalizing question. Um, for me, it as I've talked to my kids, it boils down to uh, natural authority versus uh, unnatural authority or pretend authority. Um, I don't believe that just because someone won a popularity contest that we call an election. Uh, that that imbues them with any type of moral authority to boss me around. I don't think that. I mean, I'm a very kind of libertarian approach to things. I, I don't think that some public health official or Dr. Fauci or someone on CNN, you know, has authority uh, to tell me how I should behave in my life. And so I talk to my kids along the lines of natural authority versus versus this kind of pretend authority. Natural authority being like, look, I'm your parent. Like this is nature. You are part of this family unit. You are a minor, your prefrontal cortex is not yet developed. You need, you would die if you did not have me. Um, And so uh, I, I think they understand that, like we even apply it as a religious person, right? I apply it in a religious context. I think God is the ultimate sovereign. I think he, Jesus is my King. I think that there is, I'll call it natural authority there, the laws of nature and nature's God. And so as I've talked to my children in that context too, it's like, okay, there is kind of religious authority and family authority, Uh, But I think you raise a very important point because I have seen a lot of people uh, who resist and defy this kind of pretend political authority, but then they bleed uh, over into a religious context or a family context or even a corporate context sometimes like, oh, you know, my boss shouldn't be bossing me around. I'm like, they're your employer. They're allowed to. That's how this thing works. But people become kind of anti-establishment as a general rule, and they don't understand that like... Uh, it's not that all authority is a problem. It's just that you have to have like actual authority and not this kind of unnatural government uh, authority that we pretend exists. So uh, it is a fine line. I, I think a yeah. lot of people struggle to kind of to I lo- that I like distinguishing. The, yeah.
0: I like the term natural authority. That's not one I've thought of because I, I I challenge authority and I, I, I teach my kids this, but my nine-year-old, he's, he's, he's turning into a bit of a smart ass and it's becoming a problem. He's only nine. Like I can't imagine what it's going to be like when this kid is 15. So I, I got to try that natural authority line. That's
1: a good My one. My daughter is 11 and she sounds a lot like your nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> my wife struggles with it because after a while it gets old, right? Stop yeah. challenging me. Just do what I'm telling you. Yes. And, yeah, and I, I, I always
0: vowed me- I would never say because I said so. And oh, yeah. after about the third time, I find myself saying because I said so.
1: Yeah and and I've tried to talk to my wife about this. I think I have a little bit higher tolerance than she does probably in part cuz she gets it more while I'm not at home uh which is understandable. But what the way I've at least tried to look at it with my daughter is as as difficult as it is for um for us as parents to deal with the questioning of our authority. I think it's helpful in two ways. The first is I think it is helpful for us to only mandate things to our children when they make logical sense uh, uh sense when yes. there is rationality behind it and so to the extent my kids are challenging me and i'm making up a stupid rule that is just dictatorial yeah. i think it might be good for me as a parent to like say okay wait a minute like why am i really making that decision right 100%. so i think that's helpful for me as a parent but i've tried to talk to my wife i'm like i i think my stubborn 11 year old daughter who challenges literally everything that we tell yes. her to do I think she is going to grow up to be a fiercely independent woman. Yep. And so That's it's I, like, yeah, let's struggle through these, these few years and then be ecstatic about having raised this adult who will defy authority and say, don't tell me what to do. I'm yes. going to make up my own mind.
0: That's exactly what I tell my wife. Like this, this kid is determined. He's a hard worker. He's got a mind of his own. He's going to be fine. I, wor- I worry about the other kid more. The, the other kid's a good boy. He does everything we tell him to. I worry about that one a little bit more. Um, it's, Okay. A lot of your books um, focus on the economy, not typically a subject that kids are super fascinated by, but you made them, you make them entertaining. Like this one, uh, Hyperinflation Devastation that my kid's reading. It's one of those uh, choose your own adventure type of things, which is, which is a, a good way of doing it. It makes it fun. Um, I've been talking about inflation to my friends for about three years now. I, I saw it coming and boring the shit out of them boring some of them away right now all of a sudden people are much more interested in this which is which is fascinating because they don't then circle back and be like oh hey matt sorry sorry about giving you a hard time about that Mm -hmm. um but part of the problem here is adults don't know shit about money in the economy they care about money but they don't care about learning about the economy so how do we change that? Can we get can we get adults to read these books? I think it, it would help, honestly.
1: <laughs> I uh, what, What's fascinating to me is I think easily one third, if not more, but I have a, a decent enough handle on this to say at least a third of our community, the parents are learning this stuff for the first time themselves. We get messages all the time from moms and dads like, I never learned any of this in school. And oh my yeah. gosh, I, I was reading along with my kids. And what's really interesting to, to me about that is, like, let's say like Matt, what's a, okay. Creature from Jekyll Island. Let's use that as an example. Uh, you mentioned that book earlier and we have a children's version based on it. So if I, in fact, I think I have it right here. So if I uh, were to take the, the creature from Jekyll Island and um, trying to get it from under my laptop there. Okay. So here's our, our children's version, the Tuttle Twins and the Creature from Jekyll Island. And if I were to take the original book by G Edward Griffin, And it's, you know, I don't know, 300, 400 pages thick. It's a pretty decent book. And if I go give that to, you know, a mom or a dad in my, you know, neighborhood or church group or a colleague at work or whatever, and ask them to read it, to really understand the history of the Federal Reserve and money and inflation and all these things, what would you say, and just take the average person out in society, the average adult, what would you estimate, Matt, is the likelihood of that individual actually reading that book at your invitation? One percent. <laughs> if that, right. Yeah. Like maybe I mean, maybe that's. I,
0: I had Edward Griffin on this show about that book and I was very excited about that episode. I, it's an, It's an amazing book. And that book opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I recommended that book afterwards to everybody I know. Not one person read it. Not a single right. person.
1: And, and so it's this way with, with Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, The Road to Serfdom by F.A. Hayek, like all these great economic books that really help people understand the way the world works, how money works, all, like all these things. But no one's going to read these things if we hand them to them, even if they're like primed and whatever, right? So it's very, very low. Instead, when we tell a mom or a dad, hey, do you want your kids to learn about money? do you want them to understand about entrepreneurship or whatever every good parent wants their child to understand these things so then we say hey just read with your excuse me read with your kids and you can read together and at the end we have these discussion questions that you can go over together or whatever like any parent wants it because they want their kids to read books they want quality reading time as a family they want their children to learn these things and so what we're finding is that when we teach kids these ideas the defenses of the adults Come down. In other words, they don't have their walls up of like, no, I'm too busy, right? You know, I don't want to learn that stuff. I don't need to, and so their their walls come down, and they absorb this stuff simply by being exposed to it alongside their child, and then they're having these aha moments of like, you know, it's like yeah. Matrix when he, you know, he's like, I know kung fu now. It's mm-hmm. like. I know free market economics, right? Like <laughs> right. I read the Tuttle Twins books with my kids, yeah. And so uh, it's been a very effective strategy for us. Admittedly, this was not intentional. We did right. not start with this strategic plan to you know do this. It's just like, hey, let's make kids books. But what we're stumbling into and finding is that we are reaching so many adults to learn about economics because now they see that it's not boring supply and demand curves and all that crap we had to learn in you know senior year high school or college. Right, that's not what economics really is. Economics is why people act the way they do. That's all economics is, yes. and that's interesting. People love going to the mall back when we used to go to malls and like people watching, right? And mm-hmm. like just observing people and why they like. That's what economics is at, at just a high level. And so when we present it that way with fun stories and and whatnot, uh, we're finding a lot of adults alongside their children being very not just willing but eager to learn some of these ideas that they were never exposed to when they were younger.
0: Yeah, um, you you said about adults not knowing. Um, I I went to college. I have a master's degree. I didn't know. I did not know one thing about money or the economy until I was probably thirty because I got Mm -hmm. myself into financial trouble because I didn't know anything. So then I took it upon (laughs) myself to learn. Like I find it amazing that you can go to college and get a master's degree and not learn how the whole thing works. And part of me wonders if it's intentional because they want to keep people in in debt for life. That's how you have a entire population of debt slaves. I don't know. Um, Your book uh, was it the, uh, the miraculous pencil. Mm -hmm. So I, I bore the shit out of my wife with this stuff. I bore God bless her. I feel bad for, but it actually bothered me that she read that book with our kid. And afterwards she was coming to me with these ideas, which I had been sharing with her for a decade now interested in them and understanding them as if I hadn't said anything to her for the past decade. So they are, they are very effective. It bothered me, but it's effective. And I, I, I can see a lot of parents getting on board with it that way. <laughs>
1: we'll um, just credit you as laying the groundwork for all of that to happen with your No, wife. if anything,
0: I, 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 I pushed her away from it. it. It took, it took extra to, to pull her back in <laughs> um, with inflation that we're seeing now. I mean, it's, it's here. It's going to get worse. If We might end up with hyperinflation. We could end up with the destruction of the dollar. Like, There's no telling where this is going to end because we keep making bad decisions on top of bad decisions. You personally, as a father, what are you doing to prepare your family and your children for the possible destruction of the US economy? Or do you not think that's a realistic projection?
1: I I think we are unlikely to hyperinflate simply because we, I, I rightly or wrongly, and I think wrongly, but we are the wor- The do- U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency. People still want to buy our debt, even amid all this inflation, which just boggles my mind. And yet, there are people who will still buy bonds in other countries, China and Japan, and others that are still buying. But is Treasury that true? Bonds. Are they
0: still buying our bonds? Like, haven't we forced some of them onto pension funds in America?
1: it's indeed it, the problem is getting worse but 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 i think that given the us's current position i just think that hyperinflation i, I don't want to rule it out it, i mean anything can happen and i don't think that the people in control of the economy so called are so smart as to prevent runaway inflation from happening as we've seen throughout world history smart economists you know, lose control and and uh, that they thought that they had, but they really didn't. And before long, things hyperflate. In fact, literally right here, I'll, 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 for those who are watching uh, on the video, I'll show you. I got this thing on the wall right here where I've got this uh, German mark, and I've got a hundred trillion dollars from Zimbabwe, <laughs> and I've got all these bolivares from Venezuela of all the progressively inflating currencies. I talk about this issue a lot, and uh, and it is something I'm worried about. Your question specifically about how I talk to my kids about it is. Um, at a minimum, what we try and do in our family is be prepared for the inevitable. That could be a job loss or it could be a hyperinflated uh, currency. So we talk a lot in our family about having food storage, right, having a preparedness mindset. Uh, I mean, when everyone was freaking out two years ago about toilet paper and unable to find TP, right, when Corona started, we had dozens of rolls of TP in our basement just as a general preparedness type of issue. And so that gives my kids a lot a feeling of security that they know that even if there's a rough Patch, you know, or a prolonged rough patch that we're not going to starve and we're going to be okay, and and uh, and then we got the guns to to defend all that food storage too, but uh, so we try and be prepared uh, for whatever's going to happen. It could be, as I said, something as benign, quote unquote, as a you know losing a job, or something more severe as the currency uh, collapsing. Uh, I'm a big fan of crypto, uh, gold and silver as well. I think diversifying is important. So I talk to my kids a lot about diversifying our wealth and making sure that we are purchasing uh, things that uh, can hold uh, their value a bit longer, uh, perhaps, than uh, the US dollar. Uh, I talk to my kids about investing. This is the tragic thing, I think, with inflation is that there is no savings. I mean, you know, no one's savings accounts are doing anything for them. And so it forces everyone into risky investments just to try and beat inflation. And so now everyone's an investor and you got a red hot market with all this money just chasing everything. And then people are losing. Like It's just very tragic that there is no more predictable uh, savings rate and uh, the ability to predictably uh, uh, save your money. I I agree with what you said earlier. I think a lot of this is intentional um, and how this has been set up. So um, look, my kids uh, are, are often kind of asking about the future and maybe a bit anxious about what's going on in the world and wondering a lot of this stuff. And so the more I can do as their father to reassure them that, that I'm thinking uh, about these things, that I'm planning and making preparations and trying to uh, hedge you know, against potentially inevitable outcomes, it gives them kind of that security blanket that makes them feel better, that dad's got it a little more figured out. We're not going to be caught flat footed. Um, it's one of those things, kind of like hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That that we try and run through those scenarios in our families' uh, finances and dynamics of like, okay, if I did lose my job, how much cash do we have on hand, and you know what could we sell, and how could we get by? What you know, we got food to eat. Who can we stay with? And so, even if it's something more routine like that, I think too few people think about preparing for the future, just in general. And yeah. so then you look and at Ukraine right now or Russia, right? And you get uh, Visa and MasterCard shutting down and people's revenue streams and PayPal and all these things being shut down. And people, like there's too many people eat hand to mouth and they don't even have any like one week food storage, let alone anything uh, more than that. So I, I think it's just a broader mindset that regardless of hyperinflation or not, would be very healthy for us as parents to uh, be more intentional about because we're gonna be able to weather the storms of life a little bit more if we're thinking a little bit more long term.
0: Yeah um, yeah and, and you mentioned making the kids anxious it's, it's important to educate the kids and prepare the kids but at the end of the day we also have to remember the kids are kids and they need to have fun and they need to play and they need they need to have a childhood. I, I consider myself a fun dad. I try to have that balance. Um, how do you keep that balance in your kids' life to make sure it doesn't you don't overwhelm them with this stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Most people as a Tuttle Twins author, they think I'm like talking to my kids nonstop about these ideas. And like, you know, it must be one continuous stream of discussion questions with Connor and his kids. Um, And that's not true at all. I I often don't talk to, I'll go, you know, weeks at a time without talking to my kids about this stuff. And, um, and so I do want to allow them to not be preoccupied with these big questions and big ideas. i I more see myself as like planting seeds periodically and kind of making sure, like that issue I brought up a few months ago that, hey, do you remember when we talked about that? Just kind of like resurfacing it and kind of making sure that it's sticking a little bit more so that later in life maybe they kind of have that recollection or that understanding. I, I think it is very important to not overwhelm kids with this stuff. Um, our Tuttlerend books, I think, are designed to like introduce these ideas, but not be overly like, uh serious about them or have this heavy gravity and, and doom and gloom or anything like that. It's more like this. If anything, what the feedback we've gotten from the community is that it's a very empowering thing with our books because kids want to act like big kids, right? Big kids want to act like adults. They they want, aspire for something greater and older and more mature. And so when we're introducing these big ideas to these young kids, they're, they're being challenged and they feel like they've got a seat at the big kids table, right? Rather than being with the little kids, and so it's actually been a very empowering thing that we've found for kids to be introduced to these ideas. They they don't shy away from it. If anything, they embrace it because it helps them understand the world that they're growing to be a part of.
0: Yep, yep, I agree. Um, you mentioned you mentioned crypto. So my children, I you know, like any good parent, we we started savings for them when they when they were babies. Um, we've since I've abandoned that I've pulled all the money out of the savings because you're losing money by having money in the bank. You're getting like one, 2% when inflation is who knows what it is. So we pulled it all out. So now whenever my kids have a birthday or Christmas and they get money, I force them to either, they have to invest half of it. They can spend half the other half. They have to invest. They can invest it into the stock market. They can buy crypto. They can buy gold. Where do you, do you, do you have your kids investing? Do you teach them about investing? Where do you try to direct them in, in, in the investing arena? Uh,
1: so our family uses an app called green light, which I would recommend. It's uh, allows my kids to have their own debit cards. It's tied to this app where parents can put money in, or if they get, you know, an allowance, we don't do an allowance, but if they did, we could do that or gifts or whatever. We can load their card with uh, their money. Uh, So they will have cash too, but this makes it a little bit easier. Um, So they've got savings in there and tithing for our church and spending money and all that kind of stuff. So they have got little budgets that they can break it out into. And then they have a a whole section there where they can invest money. So my son uh, does invest a little bit of his money. Um, We have a little um, bank of Boyac that we do with them. So we offer them uh, right now a 12% annual interest rate. Uh, for any of the savings that they leave so every month they get a 1% uh interest you, you
0: yourself you give them
1: that we okay. that we do just to so get You're encouraging
0: thinking. savings but yeah, you're the bank yeah so we're
1: yeah. So we're trying to incentivize savings and have our kids think more about delayed gratification rather than instant gratification. Um, and so that's been very helpful. It has been a strong incentive. And then over time, we're going to start tapering that off so they understand that that's not a real world scenario of a predictable 12%. And so we'll start cutting it down by half and half and then getting the kids to think more about investment. We, uh, we buy crypto for our kids. So our uh, college fund, if you will, I, I'm not a fan of college. I'm not going to push my kids to college by any means, but uh, but we got some crypto for them years ago and uh, continue adding a little bit to them to that for them uh, for us that and they know it's there and they know how much they have and they've followed the ups and downs in the charts periodically to ask how it's doing. Uh, for them and for us, that is kind of their their uh, coming of an adult age uh, fund so they can use it for a down payment on a house. They can do college if they want. They can go start a business if they want. Like Whatever that significant first investment is going to be, our goal as parents is to have been, as you were thinking earlier with your kids and savings, I want to to be doing that for my kids while also incentivizing them to be saving and investing uh, their own money as well.
0: Yep. Yep. It's important. Uh, and I don't think a lot of parents do that. So I, I would encourage them. Do that because if, if agreed, like you said, if they don't learn it, if they're not learning it from the Tuttle Twins book and they're not learning it from you, the parent, they're learning BS in school. Um, I I literally right after I read The Miraculous Pencil, which is a great book, and it's off that the essay about you know how a pencil is created. Wonderful book. Literally, right after I read that, I went to Substack and read something by Robert Reich, he's a, a famous mm-hmm. economist. This is this guy is. A person who hands out decisions to government, and in this substack, he's blaming inflation on the separation of wealth, which isn't really true. But even if it is, he's not even paying attention to the fact that lockdowns had something to do that with that. Um, you know, taxes, um,
1: printing trillions of new dollars, printing trillions
0: of dollars, bailouts, bank bailouts. Like he either doesn't understand economics, and he's one of our experts, which doesn't give me a lot of faith in the future, <laughs> or these people are evil and they're trying to ruin America. And I really don't know which it is, but you've got to teach your kids these principles because these people are going to teach them the wrong things.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to think it's the latter. I think these people know exactly what they're saying. and I, I think it's self-serving and and they're just evil people, but who knows? I could be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong on that. Uh, because is, is there any
0: is there any possibility they're right? Of, I mean, I'm sure you know about quantitative easing and modern oh, monetary yeah. theory. Is there any possibility, in your opinion, they are right and we are wrong?
1: None whatsoever, because <laughs> I, I think it's it, it's theft. What they're doing is literally stealing from my grandpa, my grandma on a fixed income, who has worked very hard and saved up all this money. And their val- the value of their money is being intentionally eroded by other people who are creating new money that they themselves and their buddies get to use first before the value of all the other dollars in, this- in the economy are being diluted. It is It is elitism. it is it is it is immoral, it is theft. Um, I-, I have you know no question in my mind that John maynard Keynes and all his you know intellectual heirs and descendants um are completely wrong because their entire premise relies upon counterfeit money fractional reserve system right uh, of, of wealth appropriation by people in power there's no natural wealth creation uh in a true sense they're not creating value they're all leeches living off of you know other productive people it's literally atlas shrug playing out in the sense yes. of, of the moochers versus the consumers and and these people are moochers and uh they live at other people's expense and i i think that's immoral and when i think about my grandparents on a fixed income i think it's evil i think what you know th- their value being eroded like that is is literally theft and uh and it's very much Frederick Bastiat talks about that which is seen versus that which is unseen and he says that a bad economist can focus on that which is seen oh look this home burned down now a new home needs to be built that's going to pay all these contractors and you know they're going to we're going to create jobs and you hear people say this all the time i literally remember two decades ago almost two decades ago when i lived in san diego there's big uh, fires from the Santa Ana winds blowing the fires all around. All these homes had burned down. There was literally an economist from San Diego state university on TV that evening talking about how great this would be for the economy. Oh, so Frederick yes. Bastiat to that says, no, no, no. You're looking at that, which can be seen. You see homes being burned down. You're a bad economist. Cause you're just myopically focusing on that, which is seen a good economist. He says focuses on that, which is not seen. In other words, you know, we had to invest all that money and allocate all those time and resources to rebuilding those homes. Had we not needed to do that, those individuals would have been employed in creating new homes. In addition to the existing ones, we would have been better off by all these extra homes in our society rather than just replacing what we had. And so we have bad economists all over the place. And I think that's what these Keynesians and all these people are is, you know, they just look at like, Oh, look, inflation is, you know, helping in this regard or it's transitory or it's, you know all these. They're arguments not saying that, that, that anymore, make, right? They're not yeah. now. They're blaming it on Ukraine, even though it was happening for months prior. Yeah. It's it's all ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it is. I, I mean, part of me, part of me, as we're we're going into more and more inflation, part of me hopes they are right. But everybody I've had on this show who believes in any principle of liberty knows it's not, and and I don't think there's any way they're right. It just. I'm a logical guy. I'm a mathematical guy. It doesn't make any mathematical sense. It's It seems impossible to me. You've sold 3 million books. 3 million books. That's a lot of books. Uh, uh, that's what I read on the internet. I'm assuming that's true. There's only like 40 million kids in America. So that's about 10% of America may have one of your books in their hands. When you watch TV, especially out here in California, you know, we're in the land of Hollywood. You start to think that, family values have become passe and nobody believes in this anymore. Um, And those of us who do, we're in the minority. And then you hear a statistic like that, like 3 million of these books, which are teaching family values have been sold. You start to realize, well, you know what, maybe we're not in the minority. Maybe that's just something that's being projected out there. Um, What do you think? Do you think, there's a concerted effort to destroy family values. I, I feel like we went through that with Black Lives Matter. And if so, why?
1: I'm going to read this quote. Um, I'm actually writing a book, not a Teletoon's book. I've written a bunch of other books too. And I'm working on a, a book about uh, the importance of strong families as it relates to fighting for freedom. So this quote is from Michael Novak, he said it a few decades ago. The quote says, between the omnipotent state and the naked individual looms the first line of resistance against totalitarianism, the economically and politically independent family protecting the space within which free and independent individuals may receive the necessary years of nurture. We we don't talk about this often enough, I think, which is why I'm writing a whole book-length treatment of this issue, that the state grows to the extent that families are weakened and, and diminished, yes. if we're not taking care of one another, if we are not self-reliant and personally responsible and independent and looking after you know, our children and our parents and our grandparents and having these kind of intergenerational uh, woven fabric of society, then of course people defer to the state and look to the state for caring for them from cradle to grave and I need free childcare and free college and free healthcare mm-hmm. and free housing and free social security and free, 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 free. And and so the state is very willing and eager to to accommodate all of those requests. In fact, I I have right here. I haven't mounted this on my wall yet, but this is an illustration from uh, our most recent book, The Tuttle Twins and the the um, the uh, Leviathan. Oh my gosh, I'm uh, I forget the name of your book. (laughs) <laughs> the, yeah. Like, what the heck am I doing now? The Leviathan crisis. There we go. I'm like, well, because the original book that we based ours off of is, is crisis and Leviathan. And, and it always throws me off that we switched it. But this is an illustration that Elijah did that this is Leviathan, which it represents the state, the government. And this goes through all the different controversies and and, and emergencies and problems in, in the United okay. States. And and, and, and in moder- it looks like it's modern, in terms, modern right? yeah, yeah. So it okay. starts with the market crash, which led mm-hmm. to the New Deal, we had World War II, which led to the military-industrial complex. You know, the war on drugs, uh, universal surveillance, Wall Street bailouts, yeah. and, and all this. And so, Leviathan just grows and grows and grows to accommodate. You know, having to uh, facilitate all the requests, pay for all the things, take yes. care of all the people. And is it any wonder that we have diminished freedom when our families are so weak and we're not taking care of one another and looking yes. out for one another? Um, that to me is one of the most glaring issues that, look, we can preach freedom all we want, uh, but unless we have personal responsibility, unless we have strong families, we're, we're shouting into the wind because 100%. Leviathan is just going to continue to grow.
0: Yeah, they go, they go hand in hand, uh, freedom and personal responsibility, and not just personal responsibility, responsibility for your family. If we don't take care of each other, the state has to come in and they're very willing to do that. That's what welfare is. And we see what welfare has done to our inner cities. I've worked in inner city, Los Angeles for 15 years. It's gotten worse every single year. That's not, that's not a coincidence. Um, We're, we're, we're coming up on time here. I just want to ask you if, if a family is interested in your books, I assume they get, what's, what's the website and what one book should they start their kids on? What's your go-to, this is the book to read to get started.
1: So tuttletwins.com is where people want to go to get the books. Uh, It's cheaper there than Amazon. Plus we offer free activity workbooks as well when you purchase from us. So you get even more value. Uh, Most people buy the whole bundle of kids books, but if you're looking uh, just because the deal is is such a, it's a big deal that we offer um, on our website right now. But if you're looking to start with one book, um, one of two answers. Most people typically start with book number one that Initially introduces the twins and, and uh, uh, starts off the series. That one's all about the law. So, you know, what is personal freedom? What are individual rights? What is justice? What is law? Um, so it's a very important book. And that's why Elijah and I picked that as our first book, because we thought if this is the only book that we are going to do, we want it to be this like really significant one. Um, the other one I would mention, if someone's going to just uh, dip their toe in the water with Tuttle Twins and start with one book, is, uh, is the book that we talked about earlier, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, it's a very hot topic right now. And, and it's extremely relevant. So sometimes you might read one of these uh, books and maybe you feel like, oh, okay, that's important to know. But like, how is that relevant to my daily life? I think everyone agrees that, that money and inflation is a daily issue of focus right now and concern. Prices are going up across the board. We still have the supply chain crisis and all these things where the economy is out of whack. Um, and so understanding how this stuff works and its background, I think is very relevant on a kind of intimate daily basis. And so the creature from Jekyll Island has been a particularly popular one right now as a result.
0: Excellent. I love the books. My kids love the books, guys. If you like this show, you you you're down with the principles of freedom, liberty, personal responsibility, family values, you will love the books. Go to TuttleTwins.com. Get the books for your kids. They're going to love them. Thank you so much, Connor, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right, man. Take care.